1: In the film Weekend at Bernie's 2, a voodoo queen named Mobu raises the deceased Bernie with black magic and a boombox. In the original Child's Play, Fugitive serial killer Charles Lee Ray uses Haitian voodoo to transfer his soul into a child's doll. James Bond, in his 1973 outing Live and Let Die, saves a sexy tarot reader from being sacrificed by the villainous voodoo priest Baron Samadhi. In Hollywood, voodoo is the epitome of black magic, both in the sense of being evil and obsessed with death, and in its practice by African American and Afro-Caribbean people. Zombies, bones, pinprick dolls, and blank-eyed trances, voodoo gets typecast as primitive, pagan, and profane. Of course, all of those examples are about as accurate a portrayal of voodoo as the latest Fast and the Furious film was a faithful depiction of Newtonian physics. Voodoo sits at the crossroads of race, sex, colonization, and the occult, which makes its clumsy appearances in pop culture frequently problematic, and its actual practice a deeper exploration of those same intersections tracing initiatory lineages and complex mythologies across continental divides. Our guest today, Lilith Dorsey, has been doing voodoo for herself and clients since 1991. She is the editor-publisher of Oshun African Magic Quarterly, filmmaker of the experimental documentary Bodies of Water, Voodoo Identity and Transformation, and author of Voodoo and Afro-Caribbean Paganism and the African American Ritual Cookbook. She's studied under New Orleans voodoo priestess Miriam Chamani and holds numerous initiations in Haitian voodoo, New Orleans voodoo, and Santeria. In other words, her gri bag is kicking and she knows a thing or two about how to do voodoo. Hello Lilith. Welcome to Ritual Space.
0: Hello. Thank you for having me.
1: It's my pleasure. What's our magic word going to be?
0: Our magic word is going to be ashe. It can mean so be it. It's a universal life force and energy that we have in voodoo. So it's ashe.
1: Ashe. Yeah. So one, two, three. Ashe. Ashe. Ooh, I like that. That I felt that when I said it. What does uh, it means to let it be?
0: It means so be it. It's so like kind it. of the way people say that, ceremonialists will say that or yeah. something like that. But people have been really just using it sort of like as a signifier right. lately at the end of everything. But it really is the universal life energy that permeates through all things, either living or, you know, rocks have ashe, water has ashe. Like our whole religion is based on ashe.
1: So let's dive right into it. The voodoo religion. Where, where should we begin? How would you like to approach this? Um, This wonderful topic.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think it's so misunderstood. So thank you so much for asking me about it. But it's it comes from a lot of different places, mainly in West Africa, uh, Benin, and also bits of stuff come from the Yoruba, and, and a lot of it found its way through the slave trade to New Orleans and to Haiti, where it's called Vodou. And it basically is an earth-centered tradition. You know, I don't like to use the word pagan because that has a lot of bad, you know, stigma attached to it, especially recently. It didn't when I started, but it does now. So, but it basically is seeing the value in all things in life and trying to live in harmony with that. It's not all of this Hollywood sensational stuff. It's way more chill. It's way more low-key. I mean, I think that there's a lot of it that's very protective because it's a rough world that the slaves lived in, just as it's a rough world that we live in now. So I, I think that there's a lot of it that does center on that kind of thing because people have hard lives. But for me, it's just a very beautiful religion. At its core, it's about ancestors and nature worship and things like that.
1: Well, there's the idea, I think it's called liberation theology, but like oppressed people have different relationships to religion. So even the Christian doctrine in African-American communities took on a different idea than when it was the people in power practicing it and you gravitate towards different parts of the source. So having your own traditions and finding them when you really need them seems to be an important part of how those things grow and evolve and connect with the communities. Yeah, I think so.
0: I think so, you know, because so much of it was suppressed, that I do like this idea of liberation. I do like this idea of getting back to your roots, you know, and all life started in Africa. So we can all have access to those kinds of energies and stuff if we want to.
1: How did you get started?
0: I got. I mean, I was always kind of interested in it, but I never really knew what was going on. I did little witchy things when I was in high school and stuff. And then when I got into college, I had a professor tell me there was no such thing as witchcraft or magic in the United States. And I was like, you're just another pompous white male idiot. <laughs> And I'm going to prove you wrong. And at that time, even within the witchcraft and pagan community, you know, drums were seen as bad and everything African was seen as bad. And we weren't even allowed to play rock music. I got thrown out once for playing Leonard Skinner. So, uh, yeah. Was it seen
1: as like black magic? Yeah, it was was
0: seen as like, yes, very negative magic. Not what we do. It was very new age, white light kind of thing. Not that I have a problem with that. But if that's going to be an exclusionary tool that you're going to use as a hammer to oppress people, then I have a problem
1: with that. The simple binary of, you know, white equals good and black Mm -hmm. equals bad is something that is. is cultural and has a lot of implications that I think are not always thought through by oh, people. Oh, yeah, are...
0: yeah. When I was little, my mother used to go through all the, you know, groom's fairy tales and everything, and every time something said black, she would change it to white. So oh, there you go. <laughs> I grew up kind of thinking about these things, you know, because yeah. I could read, I could see she was changing it, but she wanted it to be something different. Because Snow black asked... and the seven Dwarfs. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> It was great. It was a very interesting way of thinking about things that I think has really allowed me to think of these things differently as an adult and and when i was raising my own girls but yeah when i was in college i really wanted my children who were little then to have something positive that they could look back on this tradition because i knew it wasn't bad or wrong or evil Mm -hmm. like they were always telling me so i just decided to study and then I met my priestess, you know, she's been in New Orleans, Priestess Miriam of the Voodoo Spiritual Temple. She's been in New Orleans for 28 years, and my daughter's 28, so I've been a member almost since my oldest daughter was born, and uh, she's just really lovely. She's like a second mother to me, you know, she's one of the most famous priestesses down there, and everybody just adores her, and uh, I certainly adore her.
1: (laughs) So that's amazing. So that's you were in New Orleans when you started working with this and getting involved?
0: No, actually. I was at an event that was started by a hippies called Starwood in upstate New York. Mm. <laughs> and they had Priestess Miriam out. I don't know how we all lived through it, but they had her out one year to do five different Buddha rituals, one at midnight every night. And these last from two to three. Four hours Wow, you know, so it was intense. that was my first contact with meeting her, and these rituals were between maybe a hundred and four hundred people every night, Holy so God. it was yeah <laughs> it was intense, and we did a lot and we
1: did a lot what and is we one of these sort of bonded what does one of these rituals look like
0: um again there 's always this public performance and and you know how it would differ if it was private, but since these were public with a lot of people who weren 't used to the kind of thing. Usually we have a standard order of service, which is, you know, there's drums, we open the door for Papa Legba, who's the guardian of the crossroads. In New Orleans, they specifically call him Papa Labat, which was named after Jean-Baptiste Labat, who was one of the people who outlawed drumming and voodoo. So it was kind of like, hey dude, don't shut us down, we're going to pray to you before we start, so you leave us alone, and then we can have the door open and do what we need to do for a ceremony. So yeah, there's always drumming, there's always dancing, there's food offerings, there's usually some kind of drink offerings. Um, Priestess Miriam at the time had voodoo flags that we would use in ceremony. So each of those have the ashe of the different loa or orisha that we're honoring. So it's like those get paraded throughout the crowd. And then there's different trance possessions and things like that that happen and sort of, you know, little mini healing sessions and, and information sessions for everybody who's there. So it's intense. And, and the trance <laughs>
1: is somewhat spontaneous. The people that are participating go in and out of it.
0: It is in New Orleans voodoo. I have been to Haitian voodoo ceremonies where everybody went off in the other room when they were in trance, got dressed up, and then came back into the service, which I thought was kind of interesting. (laughs) I was like, oh, that's wild. But no, for us, it's usually like, you know, you'll see someone drop to the ground, and then they'll start doing these feats that are sort of like extreme, you know, speaking in tongues. Or, you know, I've seen my priestess walk on fire. Or, you know, I ate dirt once. I don't know what was up with that. Yeah, (laughs) All right, I'm eating some dirt now. Okay. You know, so just these things, but it has to prove to the individuals that are there that spirit really is present. You know what I mean? And I think that's something that's missing. I was interviewed last week by a a priest called Devin Hunter and he was like, what's missing in regular witchcraft? And I said that, um, you know... What's missing is that <laughs> we don't have these checks and balances, I think. A lot of traditions, modern witchcraft traditions, don't have these checks and balances where we really see that someone is doing the extreme and that's the presence of the divine. So if somebody's there, you know, eating fire or eating dirt, that's obviously not something that's normal for them, not something that they do. So that signifies the presence of the divine but yeah it's definitely spontaneous you don't know when it's coming you can do things to sort of make sure it doesn't happen to you it's not like the exorcist where something comes in and you can't get it out it's more of a blessing both for the individual and the gods to be able to come down
1: and to speak through you it sounds like the kind of thing where you're you're creating the environment that supports this happening and the people that have opened themselves up and are ready for it and can go into that and the the whole environment is conducive to it yeah
0: it's supposed to you know I mean if you go to a a ceremony in, like uh, you know one of the other African traditional religions like Santa or or whatnot and you don't have initiations and they think you're getting possessed they'll remove you from the space because basically it's like they don't know what's in there you know (laughs) you're just like an empty vessel being filled up with you know it could be the homeless guy from down the street who died last week or it could be this you know so if you haven't had the proper initiations they sort of steer you away from
1: that well it's like if I'm having a house party and we've got the music played and my friends are starting to like dance and make out on the dance floor i'm like that's great the party's conducive to that but then if there's a homeless guy that wandered up on the street that's starting to dance really hard i'm like i i, I don't yeah. i don't know you bud like yeah definitely you know you can yeah. you can have a drink and sit on the, the corner but like stop doing the worm on my dance floor please yeah, that's
0: it that's it because you don't know what's going to happen you know what i mean and it's the same thing with the spirit world you don't know who's going to come in or what unless somebody's been trained so yeah but in neurons we have things that are a little bit looser it doesn't happen all the time but when it does happen it's usually pretty extreme and there's things that we do to help you know care for that person and take care of the person and things like that you know blessings and food and you give them the things that they like you know because if somebody shows up and they're expecting this kind of alcohol or this kind of food and you don't have it then they're going to get angry. And now everybody's in trouble. (laughs) Right. So that's why it's good to have that kind of family unit where people can work together and know what's happening.
1: It it really, yeah, like, when I say party, I I mean it in a very spiritual way because I think that that's kind of the idea is like festivals and parties and rituals and times for the community to come together and mix socially with the other divinities that are part of that community on the other side of the fence. And... It feels like a lot of times in contemporary culture, we have all of the, the fireworks, we just don't have the direction to put them in. Uh, you're going to get a bunch of people together with music and drugs and alcohol, but there's no um, – people have lost some of the techniques for how do you reach across and how do you do that respectfully and invite those other elements to um, partake.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think so. You know, a lot of that training is lost. And I think I meet people that tell me they don't want to join the tradition because they think it's too much trouble. They don't want to leave offerings every day or they don't want to pray, you know, on this day or that day or whatever. And I said, well, what's your life going to be like if you don't do it? This is to make everything gentler, simpler for you, you know? So if it takes me five minutes in the morning to salute my ancestors and to give them a cup of coffee, then that's going to make the rest of my day a lot easier. So I don't think the resistance is inherent in the religion. I think it's Inherent in the individuals who don't know what it entails, you know? <laughs> if you don't have
1: time to meditate for 10 minutes, meditate for 20 minutes. yes yeah, that's, that's, that's it. Yeah. Yes,
0: <laughs> I like that.
1: <laughs> well, let's talk for a moment about some of the cosmology. Can you give me a little bit about the worldview um, of the voodoo religion and the different? Uh, Deities and and characters that play a role in it?
0: Sure, it all changes because, you know, unlike Christianity, there's no one main book. Not that Christianity has one main book, but it kind of has one main book. It has a bunch of versions, it has a defined canon. Yeah so we don't have that like each house spiritual house operates autonomously so it's like I listen to what my priestess priestess Miriam says or my other priestesses in the tradition say and that's pretty much how we do it you know so the cosmology varies slightly especially since you're talking about different groups of people that came in in New Orleans there were so many different groups of people and then mixed in with you know indigenous people from both the area and Mm. also you know South America where the slave trade went through so but the cosmology based Basically, goes along to find that there's usually a supreme creator but he's sort of a deus ex machina kind of thing he doesn't really show up at all yeah. and it's not you don't sit there and pray all the time in that way it's just sort of like a uh, it's a given that he's there and he's helping and you, you give him tribute but much more of the day to day kind of things the same way that people do with saints that, are, that you go to the Orisha or the Loa in order to help them with your individual problem you know if I have a problem with my car maybe I'll take that there's a Loa and Orisha called Ogun who's for or, you know, all kinds of things that are metal. He's also uh, medicine and stuff like that. So, if you have a car problem, there's a spell you do where you take a, a piece of meat, like a really good steak, and you rub it on your tires, <laughs> and then you leave that at the train tracks. And that yeah. helps get whatever kinds of, you know, negative energy off your car, and hopefully you get to your destination. You know, I had one car though where I was going through so many stakes, I was like, I gotta give this car away <laughs> because it's, it's too much trouble for me to be praying every time I get in it. I can't handle it. Yeah, the maintenance yeah, yeah.
1: costs and the meat costs yeah. are added on. Mm-hmm.
0: Definitely, definitely. But yeah, it's definitely served me well too, you know, because again, cars, it's one of those things like a crapshoot. could be $50 to fix, could be 500 You never know going in there. So I always found myself needing prayers. I always had these janky cars and stuff when I drove. But, <laughs> so, okay, so there's the one. And then there's, most people think, um, you know, it goes with, that's where the story of the serpent and the rainbow comes from. You've got these two deities. They come from Haiti called Damballa and ayuda Uedo. They were from um, Dahomey. And basically, Dumbala and Ayudawedo are the serpent creators of the universe. And Dumbala took the knowledge from Africa under the waters to the New World. And Ayudawedo made the rainbow. And they met here in the New World and sort of intertwined like a caduceus and, and started the religion in a new place. I'm not necessarily going to say a better place, just a different and new place. <laughs> So yeah, that's how it goes. But I I like the concept of it too. I like this concept of the twin serpents working together, and you do get that in in Mila Rogo writes a lot about it. There's also this this imagery of the ba and the ka, these two things. You know, you get it in Egyptian stuff as well. These sort of masculine and feminine. Not to be all dichotomy about it, but...
1: (laughs) Dichotomy (laughs) is a part of it, I think.
0: You know, those as the two major forces in the universe, but they have to intermingle and balance in order for creation to happen. So they're ba and ka? The ba and the ka. In Haiti, we refer to them as the marassa. Those are the divine twins. And in um, santo or ifa, they're seen as ibiji, which are seen like the musical group. Those are the divine twins. So they're sort of like these twins that have come together as creators of is the this a little bit kind of
1: like yin and yang of yeah. their their polarized mm-hmm. energies yes. representing different things yes yes yeah. i was
0: writing today about something where one watches over the day the other one watches over the night it's just sort of a divisional labor kind of thing i think yeah you know so that's pretty much how it's seen but again the Marasa or the Abi are not seen as individuals that come and you know you don't pray to them for something necessarily you know it's not like you wouldn't pray to them for your car they're just sort of there and they helped create you Um, There's also one I wanted to mention to you out of Santo is Obatala, who's also seen as a creator deity and this one's androgynous. It's sort of In this tradition, he's become mixed between the two and is both in one. And he's one of the only ones that doesn't take alcohol. But a lot of people say he does smoke marijuana, which I always (laughs) thought was great. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, he's just this old wise guy with like a beard who wears white robes and smokes weed all the time. Oh, I did hang out with this guy. I I think we would get along. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah, yeah. So that's, you know that's how that goes so yeah the cosmologies are all slightly different between the traditions and also between the houses but that's generally how it goes you know there's a real connection to the ancestors a lot of the traditions say that you're born back into your spiritual line so in the sense that you'd be born you'd be reincarnated as your grandchildren or your grandchildren's grandchildren or some part of your family oh very cool yeah yeah i think that goes back to the religion you know really being aligned with different families and tribes and things like that so nowadays you get uh readings and stuff like that and they tell you what kind of guardian spirits you have looking over you whereas you know 200 years ago it would just be you're in this family that means you're in a goon. everybody in that family is a blacksmith or a mechanic or something like that you know so but now that there's more difference and we don't really live like that
1: that things have been more separated well, that's one of the things that early religion did for people is that when you got past the point where there's only 35 of us, I know who's in my tribe, and you needed to be able to if you met a stranger on the road are you are you with me or are you something else and knowing what religion somebody else was, it's like, oh, okay, we're all worshipping the same god, that means that we're connected in some way as opposed to somebody comes at you with a bunch of strange gods and rituals you're like i don't know you buddy this is is different (laughs) and yeah we've definitely now grown into this new a la carte spirituality where everyone's picking and mixing Mm -hmm. matching which has its benefits and its disadvantages
0: yeah yeah definitely definitely i mean i'm okay as long as somebody does it correctly you know i get a lot of flack for practicing different traditions you know but my priestess Miriam, she was in the Baptist Church and a Spiritualist Church for very long, you yeah. know. So she came from a lot. Of, her husband was an obeah man from Belize. So she came from a lot of different traditions, you know. My Haitian Vodou priestess, she was adopted, so she never necessarily knew all of her family line. But she was a drummer, yeah. so she, you know, she used to drum for Troupe Macandal here in Brooklyn, and she drummed with Ola Tunji, and then she went to Brazil and drummed with the Zumbistas down there, and you know, then she was in Cuba doing drumming, so she became a So there's like a lot of different ways that she found herself navigating these areas because she didn't have that kind of ancestral line that she was in touch with Mm -hmm. and also because she was a drummer and that allowed her musically to pass through all these different arenas where she would not necessarily have been otherwise. It wouldn't have been accepted.
1: Which is the same as a secular drummer. If you're a good drummer, you're Mm going to be very in demand and you might play in a jazz band on Monday night and a funk band on Wednesday night and then you're uh, drumming for a ballet class on, on Fridays. Yeah, very true. you're moving through different worlds because Mm -hmm. some of those things are universally desired, the rhythm and the uh, access it presents.
0: Yeah, and I think that the talent and the ability to... You know, we're really big in all these traditions on, like, reproducing things exactly. Some traditions even have parrots that will do the ritual calls because yeah. they say the parrots can do the calls without thinking about oh my gosh i didn't pay the gas bill or oh my oh, gosh man, like i gotta call this person yeah. <laughs> and you know so all those little human things that go on in the back of your mind they get animals to do it or the parrots in this case so it just has that kind of purity so i think that you know if you're a really good drummer and you can reproduce those sounds and those rhythms technically
1: then you're invaluable and you can go wherever you want to go you know I'm so, I, like, I'm, I'm speechless right now. I'm so into this idea of having the parrot doing, <laughs> doing the ritual calls. <laughs> I'm going to have to get get working on that for a future wizard event. Yeah, yeah, I like that. That would be great. Apricadabra! <laughs> think I think my partner is going to be upset when I bring home, like, a African gray parrot to live in yeah. her apartment. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, maybe you can rent one. Who knows?
1: Yeah. Uh, so, with, with voodoo being so widely spread through pop culture, both in a lot of ways very twisted and not the best presentation, I'm curious if you have any favorite representations of of voodoo and culture or ones that get brought up a lot that really get under your skin.
0: My priest cracks me up. He's so funny. Priest Louis Martinet, he uh, was the co author of the Voodoo Spirit, uh, the Voodoo New Orleans Voodoo Tower. And uh, he's written several other books. He runs Black Moon Publishing. Mm. But he used to do these workshops where people would raise their hand and they'd go, is it like Angel Heart? And he would be like, yes, New Orleans food was just like Angel-, Angel Heart.
1: Is that what? <laughs> and they'd believe it. That's with Mickey Rourke, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like Mickey Rourke and <laughs> Lisa
0: Bonet. And, yeah. 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 <laughs> I would just be like, wow, people are so gullible. But that's what they wanted to believe. You know what I mean? That's what they want to see. This is this. And this is the only thing that they get. And I think that's what people don't realize, that if they're making these media representations which are really crappy this could be the only thing about voodoo somebody sees all year you know so this is where they're going to form their ideas and their opinions and and what they're going to take out into the rest of the world with them so that's why i think it's it's you know really kind of not nice to do that <laughs> to distort
1: it so much yeah. and present it as yeah. something yeah
0: to make it like that you know all these things about it being so sexualized it's it's not really sexualized at all yeah, You know, I, I had a ritual once where I guess somebody had seen a bunch of these movies and him and his two women decided to start having sex before I even began the ritual, which um, <laughs> I was like, that's wonderful, but that's really not part of my Voodoo ritual. You can yeah. take that back to wherever you need to go and have fun. Go to the that. Presbyterian yes. church on the street and do that. Yeah, yes, that's not what yes. we do around here. Know, so I'm upset about that. I mean, but media representations. I mean, I really do like Eve's Bayou. You know, because I'm a media person and that was, you know, the first feature length official film um by a black woman cassie lemon so that's one of my and everybody i know who is a very spiritual person who watches eve's bayou they really say that she got it right the way she did it and i think that's because she used more of an experimental treatment when she was talking about the spirituality you Mm. know and uh, there's a lot of images in there that are very evocative where you can sort of get out of your you know front brain logical head and just sort of allow the experience to
1: sort of wash over you now, getting out of the front brain of your head is something that you're familiar with as well, because you've done stuff about dance and trance and those things. Um, where did where did your experiences with that begin, and how have you pursued that as an interest?
0: Well, I started out like even when I was a kid, I always wanted to, you know, be on Broadway. La la la, jazz hands. You can't see my jazz hands, but I'm making jazz hands. They're great jazz hands. <laughs> But, um, and I did, I actually did uh, sing and dance on Broadway with a couple of people that have Grammys now. So it's so funny to me to actually, yeah. to have done that and now have them be famous musicians and have everybody following them. Where where what
1: you were you, what shows were you in?
0: I was in a Godspell production with Eagle Eye Cherry and Monifa Carter, both of which who are very big yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now. What's Eagle Eye used to tell me he couldn't sing, which I thought was hilarious. I was like, <laughs> wow, yeah. okay, now you have a Grammy and you told me you couldn't sing when we were 13, but whatever. <laughs> so, um. I always really loved this value of the show and the performance of everything, you know. So when my focus became spiritual, I think that just wanting to continue that and bring, you know, my theatricality and my dance and all of those things into the experience for people was really special. And then uh, about, I don't know, probably about 10, 12 years ago, I got the opportunity to choreograph and dance for jazz musician Dr. John. So, and Mac's like my dad, um, that's his real name, Mac Revanach, he's like my other dad, the dad I wished I had, that's what I always like to say, you know, and it was such a wonderful experience being on tour with them, and going to Bonnaroo, and being able to do ritual in front of, you know, thousands of people up there on stage, That's amazing. it was was just so nice, you know, just to be able to have that, and, and to be really, he made me feel like family, you know, so
1: it was just great. How did that opportunity come about, and what did uh, the stage show look like for, for us to oh, experience some of it with our oh imagination? <laughs> <laughs> it was great. The
0: Bonnaroo show was Well, all the shows we did was great.
1: Bonnaroo. But... <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was Mac's song. I just thought, I find that so funny. Now the whole event is Bonnaroo, you know? But um, yeah, yeah. So it came about that uh, we had a mutual friend, and she told me that he was looking for a choreographer and a dancer for his show, because I guess... Originally, the woman who used to do it was a go go dancer and they didn't know where she was anymore. So, and I've I've since had people come up to me, I knew where she was, how dare you, you know, but whatever. Go go became gone gone. Yeah. I was like, well, we didn't know where she was. They hired me. I'm sorry. It's not my fault. So, (laughs) but, um, so I said, you know, and did I know anybody? And I sat there for a minute and I was like, wait a minute, can't I do it? You know? I know me, yeah, me. <laughs> I know me, and it's so not like me to do that, but I really wanted to do it so bad. I was like, okay, well, at least let me try and and uh, see if I can do something that would be worthy of the show, you know? So I went back and I researched some of the early voodoo um, dances that were done in New Orleans by Marie Laveau and, and some things like that. There's one called the Yon which I think is beautiful because When you look at it in Haiti, it's like a serpent dance and it has to do with the undulations of the waves and, you know, going back and forth like the undulations of the serpent. And it's a really slow dance. And then you look at it how they used to do it in New Orleans and it's sort of a very coded dance of resistance where you sort of get this military stomp on and then you do this move where you're like chopping the heads off the authorities. So (laughs) I was like, oh, I really like that. You know, (laughs) so I, I combined the two of them and did them for Mac. And he was like, yeah, that's great you know and it was a fantastic show I mean I was a little nervous the first time because he said to me he was like well I don't care what you do up there as long as all your clothes come off and I was like wait a minute (laughs) I'm not 20 years old anymore I don't know if everybody want to see that you know and his manager was like no will shut us down they used to shut us down all the time don't do it And I was like okay and I don't want to get in trouble, but I'll keep my clothes on. So no, it was a good show. It was just amazing. And the ritual was amazing. The one we did at Bonnaroo was fantastic. It was, um, it was still a Republican regime at the time not our current evil one but uh, a different evil one yes a different evil one which we thought was bad but you know so Mac wanted to incorporate some sort of hoodoo thing so you know he read from the Psalms you know to hex the president and then we did this giant like crazy voodoo performance dance with fire and uh, Reverend Goat actually who you can see in the Treme he's got a big role in that was there and he was playing this electrified jawbone of a goat (laughs) which was crazy and we had this giant altar that was like 10 feet high made out of bones and everything. It was an intense, intense show. Yeah, yeah. That was a great And to show.
1: think of a crowd of that size like, you know, again, that's some of that undirected party energy of people that just woke up and took a bunch of acid and Molly and I wandered yep. around Bonnaroo, but are still having their own experiences that they're remembering and they're connecting with that energy that's coming off the stage and permeating throughout the crowd.
0: Yeah, it was a fantastic event to do as a ritualist because for me, I had to figure out exactly what it is that makes magic, that makes it up there on stage, that will get through to somebody even if they are tripping or even if they've never seen Voodoo before or never even seen Mac before or never even, you know, don't even know where they are, you know? So it was very difficult but a pleasant challenge to be able to come up with exactly what those things were and to be able to design the stage show for it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I've been trying to figure out what those things are too. Can you give me the answer?
0: <laughs> well, you do need a really big show. There is that. There is that, you know. And you need to have something, you know, I did, you said you were looking at the website, I did a voodoo silent rave, which I wanted to Mm. do because everybody's all in their own heads anyway, you know? So I wanted to have something where people could still engage, but still allow them to be in their comfort zone because that was, is going to make people slip into it the easiest, you know what I mean? And so, and then you need to have the repetition, so we ended up doing a flash mob of Thriller in the middle of it because this is something that's easily repeatable. It's, it's very familiar. It's something that people can like remember and then do all together. And sort of, you know, it's like you can allow something else to come and take over because your body's focused on okay, I'm gonna shake it up like Michael Jackson. Right. I'm gonna shake it over here, you know.
1: You, I mean, it's the same thing as someone who grew up doing these dances with their aunts and they know that move. It's mm-hmm. like we know the Thriller dance. That is yes. our culture that we are a part of
0: yeah so I wanted to incorporate that so yeah I think it does it's all these things where you're incorporating things almost on a meta level where things you know from a Jungian perspective okay I can see this and identify this as a feeling no matter who I am and then just making that
1: as big as possible
0: and you know as accessible to as many people as
1: possible the headphones thing is really interesting I just did a this wizard walkabout quest through Central Park on 420 where I gave people edibles and then they all had headphones and we pressed play at the same time and there was audio that took us throughout the nice. park and the music changed and there was different areas and sometimes there was instruction. We we danced around the obelisk, the big oh, Cleopatra's nice. needle, to like crazy noise music and we're running around <laughs> all tours and all these tourists had no idea what's happening. We're like holding hands and we're just doing this ritual and it was a very interesting thing because your... In your own experience, it is a shared experience, but there's these boundaries that make it easier, I think, to let go because it, it you feel less exposed because you're, you got your headphones on and you're yeah you're tucked into something. It's a very I think cool new way to explore magic and how we can create these social shared experiences in the modern world.
0: Yeah, I think so. I definitely think so. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I'm sorry I missed your ritual. It sounded like so much fun.
1: <laughs> I think there'll be more to come. Maybe All we'll right. do maybe yeah. we'll do a voodoo one at All some right. point and we I can like collaborate. That. I like that. Wizdoo. Oh, yeah. Now, there, you said hoodoo a moment ago, and that's something that I was curious about is what is the difference between hoodoo and voodoo?
0: Okay, well, voodoo a lot of people again did like sort of don't like the word we use it I use it specifically to differentiate the New Orleans practices from mm. the practices in Haiti which are voodoo um, some people think it's just you know people give me flack for oh well this is just a crappy wrong way to say voodoo I'm like no it's not like <laughs> New Orleans I think there's a level of reclaiming a yeah. level of identification people still hear voodoo and know what it is so I think that that's why in my temple we've chosen to adopt it and I've sort of embraced it in, in that sort of way because I know that's what people are going to be searching for on Google and all Mm -hmm. of that so I might as well be what comes up so I can give them some accurate information instead of you know American horror story or some nasty thing like that so voodoo usually though again is something that's way more formalized whereas hoodoo is more of a kind of hedge witch practices folk magic handed down from one person to another whereas voodoo is more of a tradition you come from a line you initiate you study all of these things is more like all right i don't like you so i'm gonna take some of your hair and i'm gonna pee on it and i'm gonna put it in the freezer you Mm -hmm. know (laughs) that's more of a voodoo kind of thing you know, yeah. it's more of these instant kind of spells with what's at hand in order to solve your problems.
1: Whereas the voodoo is being part of a community because yes. you are initiated into a yes. group and you have to respect. Um, is it a godparent that is? Yes, the, your, your godparent. Your yeah. godparent mm-hmm. and both the deities and the, the right. physical representations mm-hmm. and there's there's more of a process yeah there is
0: there is and it's it's less about like oh i want to you know hurt my boss and more about like okay these are the forces of the universe and we're trying to live in harmony with them
1: and working it sounds like working on the things that are going on in your life you're like i'm facing this uncertainty and how do i deal with that within the framework within the community yes and making sure that all the deities are having a good time and getting there yeah the things that they need to to be happy healthy and wise definitely definitely
0: yeah so that's the difference. I mean, somebody interviewed me once and they were like, well, if that's the case, how come everybody just doesn't give up on voodoo and do hoodoo? And I was like, can I leave this interview now? Wow. Yeah, way to,
1: way to miss the point.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, lady.
1: Yeah. Well, speaking of magic that people can do, let's talk about a spell for our listeners. Should they just pee on their ex's hair or do we want to come up with something else?
0: No, I don't think that's a very positive one. You know? I do like
1: the steak on the tire, but...
0: The steak on the I'm a diet. vegetarian
1: and I don't know if a Boca burger on the tire is no, going to a peas in the same do way. it's not
0: the same thing. No, unfortunately. What about an
1: impossible burger? <laughs>
0: I like that. Well, we do use, I will say this for all the vegetarians out there, we use red palm oil in place of blood. Mm. So you can get it at the Botanica, you can get it at the Chinese food store, that's what they use instead of blood. But I just wanted to give something very simple that people could do. You know, people, I'm a city dweller, it's New York City, Brooklyn girl, all over. And uh, I think that there's something, people need to see the divine in their own circumstances you know so i just wanted to give somebody a very simple blessing water that they could do to cleanse themselves before they leave their house and they only need two things they need <laughs> tap water and they're like what tap water
1: tap water no poland springs <laughs>
0: no poland spring no no <laughs> no this evian no smart water <laughs> no just tap water you can use that and then if you have florida water you can use that which is like a ready-made preparation it's been a florida water is gatorade no, they're, they're I like that. No, it's a perfume. So, you can, For people who don't know, and it's not water from Florida, it's a perfume that you can get pretty much at any Botanica. You can get it at your local pharmacy or something. Your pharmacy chains carry it now.
1: Depends on what neighborhood you could probably get it at a bodega.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could probably get it at the bodega. Um, that's the best because it's like, you know, the, the main company's been around since 1811. My old Sicilian grandmother used to use it. They use it in Brazil. They use it in and you know New Orleans voodoo Haitian voodoo Santo you know you use it all over the place what so is that company called? Murray and Landman. It's the same Murray from Murray Hill. That was that guy. Wow. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Wow. Had his own Florida water. I know. He
0: had his own Florida water. Yeah, yeah. So, but that's, yeah, that's been around a long time. But if you can't get that, you can So go to Murray Hill,
1: get some Florida water.
0: (laughs) You can just use salt water. That's fine. You know, put some sea salt in some water and use that. And just use that on the back of your necks and on your palms and the soles of your feet before you leave in the morning to go out and greet the day because that'll help just cleanse any negativity or anything that's stuck to you or any, you know, bad thoughts, feelings that you have carrying around with you before you go out and face the day. So that's the simplest one that people can do. Yeah. I love it. Thank you, Lilith. (laughs) Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for having me on. Yay.
1: For more of Lilith, visit LilithDorsey.com. And for more of this podcast as a ritual, well, you can listen to our other episodes available wherever you found this podcast. You can tell your friends, you can get a tattoo of my face as a wizard on your back. Or you can visit patreon.com slash this podcast is a ritual, where a sacrifice of just four dollars and twenty cents brings you into the magic of this ritual and helps us grow and make the world a more magical place. Until next time, I'm Devin Person. Keep it grooving.